0: It was so dark, you couldn't see what was around you. Of course, we're going to leave some lights on so we don't totally freak everyone out. But if you're trapped in the dark, what is the thing that you want the most? Light, right? And if you're in an unknown place and you don't know what's around you and you there may be things that, that are close to you that that are dangerous. Imagine if you will that that you're in the middle of 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 a room and it's been partially demolished and you're on the fourth or fifth floor and there's only a narrow pathway you can walk on and if you can't see where to walk, you're in danger of falling through the floor and crashing to your death, to your demise. What would be the thing that you would hope that you had the most if you were in a situation like that? It's completely dark, and you're hoping to survive. To survive, you have to get through this room, and as you're walking through this room, you're very aware of the fact that one wrong step could lead to you falling several stories. Probably the thing we would want would be a light, right? We would want to be able to look around and see and shine the light in front of us and say, okay, I, can, I need to go this way because there's no way out that way. But I, can't, I better stop and turn here. And eventually, because you have something to illuminate your path, you can make your way to safety. You can get out of the building, right? See you. Have a good week. Just kidding. We can turn some lights back on. Don't want it to be too weird. We would probably want a light to shine our way to safety. Right? We would want light. We would want to be able to illuminate Our path. And this morning we're going to talk about living a life that shines. And the whole reason we can live a life that shines is because of the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. And so it's important for us to understand at the very beginning, the whole point of shining the light is to shine the light of Christ. It's important to have as a foundation that that the light that we're shining is not our own light. It's not a light to draw attention to ourselves. It's not a light to make ourselves look good. It's not a light to pat ourselves on the back. It's not a light that says, look at me and look at how selfless I am. Come and thank me for all of the good that I'm doing for this world and the light that I'm shining. The light and the reason that we shine the light is because Christ has shined the light and he has given us his light. We are filled with the life and light of Jesus Christ. And now the command for us is to shine the light into the darkness. And so our our vision for what's coming is, are we living a life that shines? Are you living a life that shines? Am I living a life that shines? Is, Is there light shining through my life that illuminates the darkness? Because if you don't know, we live in a dark world. We live in a world full of darkness. The world is broken and condemned. And the only hope that those in the world have is to find someone who has the light. Now, if you have a phone, if you will, if you'll kind of uh, help me, would you pull your phone out? We're not we're not going to do the rock concert thing. Don't not not asking that. But if you if you can, if you have a phone that you can pull out and turn on your flashlight. This is kind of cool. i got to take a picture. I'm going to have to take a pen. And you just gave me my 30 days of thanks picture. <laughs> uh. But look at how the, the room has been illuminated by the light. The more lights that shine, the more something becomes illuminated. Okay, you can put them down so you don't wear out your battery and have a car problem on the way home and you can't call for help because you used up your battery shining in your flashlight and, <laughs> in church. But um, the more lights that shine, the, the more things are illuminated, right? But the whole point of having light is not to illuminate other things that are already lit, right? I mean, so if you, if you have a dark room, you're gonna put a light in it to illuminate the room, and you're gonna put enough light in there so that when you turn on the lights, the room is lit up, but you're not gonna put all of the lights in your house in one room. You're going to put your lights in the rooms throughout the whole house. You know, in our houses at home, we probably have at least one light in every room, and that's because at night it gets dark, and we want to be able to turn on a light and get into that room and see and do what we need to do. And so the temptation, I think, that that we struggle with is to shine our light around other lights Instead of shining our light into the darkness, we want to live a life that shines, but it's easier to live a life that shines with other lights that are already shining than it is to live a life that shines in dark spaces where there is no light. For us as followers of Jesus Christ, the command, the cry, the call is not to shine your lights with other lights, but to go into the darkest places, to go, as we say, into the mess, to go into the, the grimiest, darkest places that we are, that God has arranged for us to be in and to shine the light. And we're going to talk about how to do that. Now so we've already started to make this shift and this turn as a church where we're looking at how do we build up the people who come to Six Eight Church in such a way that that their lives shine. What are the things that we need to teach? What are the things that we need to train so that when you leave this place on a Sunday, you go out into the, w- into the world during the week and your life shines? And that's why we spent a lot of time talking about being good trees, producing good fruit, fruit that will last, because we want to be people who are living lives that shine. And so this is kind of a, a shift and a turn that we're making. We've, we've talked a lot about discipleship, but we want our discipleship to be practical. We want it to not just be knowledge that you learn, but it's important to learn knowledge, so don't hear that incorrectly. It's important to have a knowledge and a framework and a basis and a foundation, which is why if you've never had that foundation, you should come to Jim's class on Thursday evenings, which he just started last week, and get that foundation, get the basics of your faith laid out so that you know what we're talking about when we use words like grace and love and truth and hope and all of those things, and Knowledge is important, but it can't just be knowledge. It has to be knowledge that leads to action, knowledge that leads to living a life that shines. And so while it's good to accumulate this knowledge, it's better to put the knowledge into practice. And so that's kind of been a focus and a shift, an intentional shift, because we've taught a lot, and we've taught, we've tried to give you information and knowledge over the time that I've been here, the three and a half years since I've been here. We've, we've done a lot of teaching and yes, I've been, my motivation is I've always been talking about living a life that shines, but we're, we're looking at what kind of life do you need to live, do I need to live, so that people are drawn to the light and the life of Christ in us. And so we're trying to, on a continual basis, identify and define what that life looks like. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16 is where we're going to be this morning. If you have your phones, I'd encourage you to pull them out and open up the Bible app. The U Version Bible app—it's free. If you don't have it, you can go download it right now while we're talking. The the uh, app icon says Holy Bible on it, so that's kind of a, a clue. If you have the U Version Bible app, it, it kind of looks like this, and then down at the bottom right-hand corner of the screen, you see this little More button. And if you click More, you'll see Events, and you can click on Events, and then it'll pull up a map. And on this map, you should see right at the very top, six eight church, weekly worship service, 6 two thousand sixteen. Click on that, and then uh, it'll it'll pull up today's scriptures as well as today's bulletin and announcements. So you can follow along with us right there if you will open up your app and do that. But Matthew chapter five verse thirteen, living a life that shines. This is at the very beginning of Jesus ministry, so it's interesting to note that in the very beginning where he's preaching a sermon to kind of kick off his public ministry on earth, the very first thing he goes to right after talking about the Beatitudes and the kind of people that we're supposed to be, so we're going to be spending time talking about that in the future, but uh, kind of talking about the, the kind of people that followers of Christ are going to be, he goes right to this, and in verse 13 through 16 he says, "'You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored?' It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Let's talk about that for a minute. Imagine you're sitting down around the table and you're having to eat vegetables, and you know, you're know you like me, and vegetables are sometimes kind of a chore to eat. It's not something that you just look forward to. I'm a meat and potatoes kind of guy. I like meat, and to be honest, dessert is my favorite portion of the meal. So you know, I'd much rather eat the desserts like I've talked about at Thanksgiving. I don't know if I've told you this, but... Thanksgiving time, I just kind of eat you know, a little bit of the stuff you're supposed to eat, like a little bit of turkey and a little bit of mashed potatoes and, and stuff like that. And then I want to make sure that I'm the first one to get to the dessert table. And then I'll eat a full plate, maybe more of the dessert because I love pumpkin pie and I love apple pie and I love apple crisp and I love all of the joys of the dessert table. And you, and you know... It's not healthy, but it's Thanksgiving, and I don't give a rip, so I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> but imagine you're sitting down, and you're eating mashed potatoes, and they're just mashed plain mashed potatoes. They haven't been seasoned at all, and you're sitting down, and you take this, this big scoop because, I mean, that's why I eat a little bit of everything, because there's always leftover mashed potatoes. There's always leftover turkey. There's always leftover of all of that stuff. There's not always leftover dessert, so you got to get the dessert first, but you take the potatoes, and somebody just made and mashed potatoes. They didn't put any flavoring in them, and you're going to take a bite of it, and what is the first thing you're going to want to put on it besides gravy? And that's depending on whether someone actually knows how to make gravy, if you're going to actually put gravy on it, because it's very important that if you're going to make gravy, you know how to make gravy, and if you're going to try to make gravy, and you don't know how, just don't bother until you've taken the time to learn, and don't make Thanksgiving your big day that you're going to debut, debut your Thanksgiving, because it's just going to be a disaster. You're going to make everyone mad and disappoint everyone, so just leave it. But you're gonna put salt on your mashed potatoes, right? You're gonna grab for that salt shaker and you're gonna put salt on the mashed potatoes. What would you do if you take that salt shaker and you put salt on your mashed potatoes and you put it all around and you take a bite and you can't taste any salt? So you grab the salt shaker again and you put more salt on it and you take and you still can't taste any salt You're probably going to give up on the salt that's in the salt shaker, right? You're going to say, okay, this is pointless. What am I doing? I'm just putting stuff on here, and I'm not tasting anything. Does anyone have another salt shaker with different salt in it? Because nothing is changing. You're the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how is its saltiness to to be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. If salt didn't have the flavor of salt, we wouldn't put salt on our food. Verse 14, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people put a lamp, light a lamp and put it under a basket. But they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Just like in this room, we have lights suspended from the ceiling. We have lights hanging down because if you want to illuminate a room, you need to get the light up high enough so that it can shine over the room. If you're trying to light up a space, you have to get the light up. We would never put lights down on the floor, shining down at the floor and cover them with a bucket and think that they're going to accomplish anything. So it does us no good if we're looking at what Jesus is commanding or teaching us through living a life that shines and living a life that is supposed to shine before others, then we need to actually make sure that our life is shining in front of others. It seems ridiculous to say, but it's a hard reality that I think we have to face. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that others may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Are we shining our light in the darkness and before others who are not yet illuminated in the light of Christ? Or are we just shining it where it's easy to shine among other lights? And I think the challenge that that we need to understand, that we need to face, that we need to receive this morning, not from me, but from Jesus' very words, let your light shine before others. We need to live a life that shines. Well, what does it mean to shine? This is where we're going to be spending a lot of focus and a lot of time over the coming months, is living, what does it mean to live a life that shines? Let's look at just some simple examples. Last week was actually one of those examples and that was why I wanted to do the talk last week to set up this week because gratitude and being thankful is one of the most important things we can do to live a life that shines. We need to be thankful people who are thankful for all the blessings that God has given to us. God has blessed us in so many ways, and we need to be the first to give thanks to God for those things. Are we living grateful lives, or are we living lives that say, you know what, God hasn't given me enough, and I just wish I had more, and I'm never going to be happy until God gives me this. Are we satisfied with the love and the life of Christ that He's given to us, or are we always looking for things? So I think it's important to go into this month and to be grateful throughout this month of, of November and understand that we need to be grateful people. But there's so much more to living a life that shines than, than gratitude. And I want to go to our next Scripture, Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. And Paul's talking here, and he says, "'Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent.'" children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. I love Paul. He's, he's very very direct in a lot of ways and take a lot of my inspiration to try to be direct. It's, to be honest, it's hard to be direct because you feel like you're kind of putting people down, but that's the role God has given me here to speak the truth that God has given to us as a church. And But I like how he ends this. He says, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that, it, that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And that's become a, a motivation for me as your pastor here at 6-8 Church. So that I... I, in the day of Christ, they may know that i didn't run in vain or labor in vain. The thing that would probably disappoint me and disappoint Christ the most would be if if we at six a Church made this whole thing about me, and we made everything kind of revolve around the pastor of the church. and if i if I made it so that my my whole aim was so that you kind of come and you you implement my strategies and you implement my ideas, and you do the things that I think will make you know me successful. I think that would be tremendously disappointing to Christ, and I think that would be something that I would have to pay account for on the day of judgment. But my aim and my mission and my goal has nothing to do with me, but it has everything to do with Christ. And my aim and my mission is that we do what Christ has said, and if I can, as your pastor, help encourage you, and as Peter said, stir you up and agitate you just a little bit to get you into what you're supposed to be doing, then that is what my role and my goal is going to be here at 6 Eight Church. Let's go back and look, about the, look at this, because I want you to know what my motivation is and what we're trying to do towards that end. Paul says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Whoops. Whoops. <laughs> right? We grumble. We, we argue. But Paul says, do all things without grumbling. Well, if the pastor would just do, if they would just, if they could just finally figure this, if that, for, if those, if that guy running the church could just finally understand, it just drives me insane when he, and I cannot get my, just why is he? And we kind of have this whole, you know, thing it's like, Ugh, just, it's, why doesn't he get it? Or, you know, in our families, so uh, my husband just he just doesn't understand how I work. Or, or my wife, if my wife would just do this for me, then I would finally get it. And my kids, my ki- I've been trying to hammer this into my kids all of this time, and they're still not getting it. It's just, come on, come on. or we go to work, and we grumble and complain about our boss, and our boss just... He's just such a moron. He just he he's just an idiot. I mean, come on. I mean, how stupid can one guy be, right? I mean, or disputing. What does Paul say? He, he says when it, when it's working in your favor. You don't have to grumble or dispute. Or, or, you know, when things are kind of going your way, you don't need to grumble and complain, or you don't need to argue with anyone. That's not what he says. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. So here I think Paul is turning and pushing us to the direction that we need to go and need to understand as a church, we are supposed to shine our lights in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And if you haven't paid a lot of attention, we live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. We live in a time where the brokenness and fallenness of humanity is is really strong, Things are really messed up. Things are really broken. And the curse that started all the way back in the garden has really grown and is thriving. We're right in the middle of a crooked and twisted generation. What are we supposed to do in the middle of that? What are we supposed to do right smack dab in the middle of that? We're we're supposed to shine as lights in the world. We're not supposed to grumble and argue. We're supposed to shine like lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So that in the, And then Paul moves into his motivation for why he's saying that. The way that we shine is holding fast to the word of life. That's why knowledge is important, but knowledge has to always lead us to shining and acting and living out the life that Christ wants us to shine. Are we shining the light of Christ in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, or do we hide it under a bushel? Are we hiding our light or are we shining our light? What does it mean to shine? It means to do things without grumbling or disputing. It means to hold fast to the word of life. What are some of the things that keep us from shining? Sin, I think, is one of those things that can keep us from shining. Clinging to sin and patterns of brokenness that we just aren't ready to give up up yet and just we just know them and like them and don't want to let go of them. I think sin can keep us from shining. I think fear can keep us from shining. We're afraid, we're worried. We, we're anxious, right? These are things that can keep us from shining. And, and so because of that, we just is like, well, I, I'm not going to shine my light. I'm just going to kind of kind of take care of myself. And so selfishness can keep us from shining. It's, well, why should I shine my light? I, I, need more of, I need more of Christ for myself. I don't have enough Christ to give away. It's like, I, I, want, I want Jesus for myself, or I don't have enough stuff to, to give away, so I, I just need more. And, and, and until I get to this point where I have what I think I need, I'm not going to be able to be selfless and give things away. I'm going to be selfish and just kind of get mine. And when I finally get enough of mine, then I'm going to be able to finally start serving and loving people around me. And that kind of drives us to never shine and probably leads to our negativity, and I've shared with you some of my struggles with being negative and trying to learn to become optimistic and positive and hopeful because I think that's how we can shine. I think a life that shines shines that there is hope in Jesus Christ, and right now I think is a great time for us to shine that hope. I'm not going to get into the election. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about that. But on Tuesday, something is going to happen. One way or another, something is going to happen. I don't know what. I cannot see the future. I cannot, cannot read into the future what's going to happen. But I do know that no matter what happens on Tuesday, we need to be people that shine in spite that, that the way that we're going to help our country get on the right track, the way that we're going to, to help move forward to where God wants us to be as a country is not really dependent on the people who are holding public offices. Yeah, they, they have influence, they, they make bad decisions or good decisions, and they can help us or hurt us, but, but the way that we're really going to affect change in our country is the lives that we lead. The way we're going to really help the people around us have an understanding of the life and the hope and the potential that they have in Jesus Christ is not by talking about who wins and runs and presidents and elections and all of that stuff. The way we, we help people is by living the life of Christ in front of them so that they can understand And I think we can hide the light of Christ under the shroud of politics. And I think the best thing we can do as followers of Jesus Christ is when we're out amongst those who don't know Christ is to be more intent on shining a life in the light of Christ and not worry about the government. As we said last week, God has known from before any of us ever existed what was going to happen on Tuesday. It's not going to be a surprise to him. It's a part of his plan we need to trust that that's a part of his plan. For some of us who maybe aren't on the winning side on Tuesday, and it might take a little more faith to understand that's a part of his plan. For maybe those on the winning side on Tuesday, we need a little more humility. Because it's all a part of his plan. And I shared this quote before, it's actually on a Stephen Curtis Chapman song, if you know me, I love Stephen Curtis Chapman, but it's Chuck Colson talking about hope This was back in the 90s, and he said, where is the hope that we have? Where's our hope as a nation? And he said, someone who had been in government and had been a part of government and experienced the corruption of government and contributed to the corruption of government and went to prison for some of that corruption, he says... Our hope is not in who governs this or what laws are passed or what great things we do as a nation. Our hope is in the power of God working in the lives of people. That's where our hope is. It's where our hope is in this country. It's where our hope is in our families. That's where our hope is in our neighborhoods. That's where our hope is in our workplaces. That's where our hope is in our schools. That's where our hope is anywhere we are, the hope is in the power of God working in the lives of people. We're never going to like somebody who's going to fix all of the problems because there are 330 million people in our country. The way we're going to help those 330 million people understand the hope that they have is by living lives that shine in front of them. How do we shine? Well, another way we shine is revealed to us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul is speaking again, and he's just talked about how worship and the worship that we're supposed to have is a life of sacrifice, a sacrificial life. And he says in verse 2 of Romans chapter 12, "...do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect." We're never going to understand God's will for our lives if we're trying to live in our old selfish ways and our selfish motives. What we need to do is be transformed by the renewal of our mind and learn to have the mind of Christ and set our mind on the things of Christ and set our mind on things above, on the, on the life that Christ wants us to have. And as we do that, as Christ renews our mind and changes our way of thinking from the old fallen, broken man that has been corrupted by sin and broken by the fall, Christ is going to renew us and set us free from that and put us into a life that now lives in the hope and the joy and the love and the peace and all of the promises that Christ has to offer. And this is how we can live a life that shines. And as Christ renews our mind, then we will understand what the will of God is for our lives. And people will often ask, you know, I don't know what I'm supposed to do in this situation or that situation. What is God's will for me in this? And the way that you know God's will for you in this is by letting your mind be transformed. And the only way your mind can be transformed is by the truth that God shares with us in His Word and the Spirit of Christ illuminating that truth in your life and shining the th- shining that light on the things that are still broken and fallen and need to be rooted out and replacing them with the light. But it's more comfortable and it's more familiar to be conformed to the world, isn't it? It's easier. It's natural. That's, that's where I feel at home. But then when we get there, we realize I don't ever feel like I belong here. And then we understand there's always something broken and missing. The more we're conformed to this world, the more empty we feel, the more hollow we feel. It. And it's not until we get into Christ and we allow Christ to fill us and saturate us and renew us that we understand now I'm at home, now I'm at peace, now I have what I was always supposed to have. The way we live a life that shines is being transformed into the likeness and the image of Christ on a daily basis and, and walking away from the conformity of the world. And that's hard, and I understand that, and that's something that, that Christ is still working on me, and there are things where I need to stop conforming to the pattern of this world. I need to not be so obsessed with pumpkin pie and donuts, and I need to understand that there's more to life than that. How else do we live a life that shines? Well, we have to be careful what we say. In James chapter three, verse eight, he shares with us that the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. I don't know if you've ever found found yourself saying something you couldn't believe was coming out of your mouth, but I have. It doesn't take long to understand that uh, there's a lot of potential for destruction in our tongue. We need to take the words that we say a little more serious sometimes, I think. We, we, say, we say it and we kind of preface it with the phrase, oh, I'm just being real, I'm just kind of being me, or... Uh, we'll say, you know what, you know, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, but, and then we just kind of unload this bomb and just dump this thing on people, and it's like, maybe we should stop and kind of roll back a little bit and, and not say what we're about to say and not hurt people the way we're about to hurt them. Words are powerful. Words can stick with people for a long time. Do you want the words that stick with someone to be words of destruction or words of hope? Ephesians chapter 4:29, Paul says, "Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear." what's coming out of your mouth on a day by day basis are, are your words shining the light of hope are your words shining the light of grace are your words giving grace and peace to those who hear it are your words corrupting and tearing down and destroying the people around you be careful what you say how do we live lives that shine we we have to be countercultural Let's go to Romans chapter 13. This one is, is direct. might be a little bit hard to share. It's not the kind of thing, but the Bible is honest and it tells us exactly what we need to hear. Romans chapter 13, verse 12. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Have we cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light, or are we trying to shine the light while still being clothed in the corruption of this world? So we live in a world that's constantly pressuring us and constantly trying to lure us into brokenness and fallenness and destruction. The way we shine the light is not to step into the brokenness and the fallenness and embrace it and wear it and live it and wear it proudly. That's not going to shine the light of Jesus Christ. The way we shine the light of Christ is being countercultural. We have to actually go against the stream. We have to work against the tide, the rising tide of brokenness in our culture. We're going to constantly face on a day-by-day basis the temptations to, to put off the light and to put back on the darkness. We're going to be surrounded by people that are constantly pressuring us to make decisions that we know because we know the truth of Christ, we know the light and the life that we're supposed to live, we know what the right things to do, and God has given us a conscience that helps us make those decisions, and He has filled us with that, and we're going to constantly be faced with the choice of ignoring that conscience or embracing the brokenness of the world. What are you embracing right now? Are we being countercultural or are we putting on the darkness? cast off the darkness cast off the works of the darkness and put on the armor of light another simple way that we can shine we can live lives that shine is to think of others we consider other people's needs and we meet them we help them we encourage instead of criticize we're patient with them we we give the benefit of the doubt We don't embrace gossip, we distance ourselves from it. When we encounter difficult people, we remember that they are made by God and they are loved by God and we think of them and how we can serve them. Luke chapter six, verse 31. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. We've talked about that, right? I mean, you know about that. That's. That's the golden rule, isn't it? That's the one we're supposed to, like, treat others the way you want to be treated. If you, if you want to be treated well, then you need to treat others that way. But do we do that? Do we think of others? Do we put the needs of others ahead of our needs or our wants? Do we serve others? Do we care for others? Do we love others? Or are we selfish? Think of others. So we need to live a life that shines. Maybe a a better and even a clearer way to think of it would be with this question, are we living a life that begs the question? Does your life beg the question? What question? It could be a number of questions, but does your life beg the question? Why are they such a freak? I mean, they're so so nice, they're so caring, they're so loving, they're so giving. Why are they that way? And this is something that I've been praying and I've been hoping for us as a church for a long time, is that our lives would beg this question in those who don't yet know Christ, and that people would say, why are you the way you are? And that you would be, we would be out in the world living these lives at such a, such a level that, that people see us and they are drawn to the light in us. and they're hope in us, and they're drawn to the things that they see in us, and they just have to know why are you the way you are, because it's countercultural. It goes against all the things that we know. It goes against all of the feelings that we have and the selfishness and looking out for our own interests that we're kind of born with and naturally adopt as we go through life. We're standing in in stark contrast to those things, and people are going to ask, why are you the way you are? That's, That's the question I hope that you start getting asked. I hope that you start hearing, hey, you're kind of you're different. Why is that? You're, you're a little bit out there, you know. I, I notice that the whole world is distraught with this election process that's going on, and they don't know how to carry it, but you seem to be carrying yourself with hope. You're not worried. You have hope. How can you have hope when you see what's going on? How can you have hope when you know that people are struggling around the world, people are, are dying around the world, that there, are, that there are people going hungry on a day-by-day basis? How can, you, how can you be hopeful in light of all of the brokenness and darkness, darkness that we're surrounded with? Are we living a life that begs the question… And I hope and I pray that, that as God kind of continues to teach us how to live these lives and, and live lives that shine, that we will get on a more regular basis those questions outside of here. That we'll be shining our lives in the darkness and people will say, why are you the way you are? You see, when I uh, came here, I'm going to be honest with you, I kind of had these dreams that we'd just kind of just, just explode and just be this like mega church. And that's not a good motive to have as a pastor. I don't think you ever go into being a pastor with the hope of being a mega church pastor. I don't think that's the, I don't think that's the right reason. I had other motives too. Uh, I did have some pure motives. We'll talk about those in a minute. But I, I, had, I had motives that I wanted to prove people wrong. Because a lot of people had kind of stopped believing in me and they'd kind of kicked me to the side and, then, and just kind of wanted to prove them wrong. I wanted to show people that, you know what, there's something God wants to use me for. There's something that God wants to do in me. And I, I just wanted, that was kind of my motive. I wanted to prove people wrong and that was a wrong motive. But over the course of the time that I've been here, I think God has slowly corrected my motives as being a pastor. And I can stand up here, I really think, and honestly say that that my motive has nothing to do with me. My motive is that on the day of judgment, I want to stand before Christ. I want to stand before this judgment seat of Christ, and I want to be able to honestly say, I did everything I possibly could to help you live the life that you're supposed to live. I want to be able to stand before Christ and say, you know, I I poured out myself, I poured out my life, like Paul talks about, as a drink offering, so that I could just empty myself of everything that I have in the hopes of helping you, the people that God has drawn here, that God has brought here to 6A Church, helping you live the life that shines. And I don't care how many people we have, as long as we are living lives that shine. I don't care who's here as long as when we leave this place on Sunday, we are sold out die-hard, 100% committed to going into the darkness and shining brightly the light and the hope of Jesus Christ. And that's my dream and my passion for us as a church. My dream isn't that I am somehow this hero. I don't, I don't want to be some kind of like... You know, well, everyone wants to be a hero. I mean, everyone wants to be... I mean, if you, had, if you had the choice, you'd choose to have some kind of superpower so you could do all of these things, right? I mean, that's kind of how we are. We have this, this kind of natural desire to be the hero. To, we've got this savior complex that feeds our ego and all that stuff. But I, I don't want to be the hero, but I want to help you be the hero. I want to help you be someone's hero. And if you were wandering through a dark building in danger of falling through to your death, and there was only one path, wouldn't the person that came along with the light be your hero? And all around us, all around us in this world that we are sitting in are people wandering through dark buildings, on the verge, on a constant basis of falling and plummeting to their death, in fact, living in the death that is the corrupt world that they're in. And they're just hoping for someone to come along, to shine a light, to light their path, where they can get out of the darkness and into the light. And that's my hope and my prayer for us at Six-State Church, is that instead of trying to build a reputation for a pastor or instead of, instead of trying to build a reputation for the name of a church or kind of trying to establish ourselves as a brand, is that we become people who are living lives that shine brightly, the love and the light and the grace and the hope and the truth and the peace of Jesus Christ in a dark world. Can you imagine with me for a second if, if just in this one week, we left this building, and 100% of us who are gathered here went out, committed, 100% diehard, sold out to living a life that shines. Can you imagine the lives that you would touch, that, that if all of us lived a life that shines and we just touched the life of one person in this week, that would be 60, 70 people who were living in darkness that have now seen a great light. Wouldn't that be amazing? And, and if we did that on a day-by-day, week-by-week basis, how many people could we affect how many people could we help see the light and change and draw out of the darkness and into the light? That's what we've been called to do. See, Jesus sent us with this great commission to go into the world and make disciples. Disciples are those who live their lives that shine, live lives that, ask the, that beg the question, why are you the way you are? Are we truly living lives as disciples of Jesus Christ, going into the darkness and living and shining the light, or are we hiding our light in hopes that we just can get by another day and not stand out too much? Can you imagine how the world would change if not just our church, but we were somehow able to help other people, other Christians? Can you imagine if you were able to shine your light in front of other believers and you were able to encourage them and say, you know what, I know this is hard and I know we live in brokenness and darkness and corruption and the fallenness of man, but you know what, let's team up together. I don't care what church you go to. Let's shine lights together. Let's encourage one another. Let's go and let's, let's conquer this world for Jesus Christ. Let's shine the light. And if we just stopped caring about, you know, if they have the same beliefs that we have, if they have the same doctrine and theology and all that stuff, if they believe that Jesus Christ died for the sins, He rose from the dead, conquering death, hell, and the grave, He ascended to the Father and sent the Holy Spirit, if they agree on those things, that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, and we can agree on those basics of our faith, and we can just say, you know what, the rest is all kind of of minuscule. Let's focus on the basics, and let's get people to Christ, and then we can argue (laughs) about all of that stuff. And we stopped caring about the differences that have divided us for so long. We started looking for the truths that can unite us. And we went and we teamed up with people. And we didn't care about where they ended up. We didn't care about what church they went to. We just cared that they were in the kingdom and they had their spot at the table. Wouldn't that be an amazing world to live in? Wouldn't that change our country? If we teamed up with other believers and we just, we just said, you know what, the kingdom is more important, the gospel is more important, the truth is more important, I don't care about anything, let's, let's just start shining the light. And if it just started to spread and affect the world, I think that is the hope of our country. That's the hope of the eight billion people on this planet. The question we have to answer is, am I going to live that kind of life? Am I going to live a life that shines? Am I going to live a life that begs a question? Or am I going to leave here and blend in as best I can? I want to pray for us. The worship team is going to come and we're going to take communion and we're going to remember why we live lives that shine because Christ paid the price so that we could. And I want to pray for us. So if you would stand this morning. As you're standing, I just ask that you bow your head with me. No one looking around, not gonna ask anyone to do anything, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands or anything like that. I just I just wanna pray for you and if this fits where you are, then I wanna pray for you specifically. Father, for those who may be gathered here and have yet to put their faith in you, they don't understand this whole Jesus thing and they're just not sure about all of it, I pray that you would in this moment and in this time that we have this morning, these few minutes we have left together, that you would just impress on them the love that you had for them in sending your son to die on the cross. That the penalty they owed you for the sins that they've committed in their lives, for the wrongs that they've done, that that penalty was paid for by Christ on the cross. And that if they accept and put their belief in that work that he did, the free work that is given to all who believe that, that they can start to embrace this new life and emerge out of the corruption, and the fallenness and brokenness of this world and they can now walk in a life of transformation, a life of redemption, a life of hope and a life of peace. And Father, wherever they are in this moment, I pray that you would help lead them on that journey. Help them to take another step towards you today. but for all of us here who have already placed our faith in you and we call you our Savior, we call you Lord and Master. Father, I pray that you would just fill us in this time we have left together with courage and boldness. Pray that you would fill us with passion that when we walk out of here in just a few short minutes, we we are drawn to the hope that we have in Christ, and that hope plants a seed in us for the life that we're supposed to live, and that as we go through this week ahead, that we would start to produce in our lives through your truth, through your Spirit at work in us, we would start to produce the fruit of being good trees, good and faithful servants who are doing our Master's work. Father, for any areas of our life that still are bearing the marks of fallenness and brokenness and corruption, those things that we're kind of holding on to and clinging to, those things that we're just not quite ready to let go of yet, Father, I pray that you would fill us with your Spirit and help us to once and for all let go of those things, to to drop them, to repent and turn away from them for, for all time and now to head toward the light of Christ. And Father, I pray that when we leave this place and we go out into the world, that your words speaking to our hearts in this moment we have together this morning, not my words, but Father, I pray your words would be speaking to us right now and that that we would hear you reminding us on Monday and on Tuesday and Wednesday, Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Am I living a life that shines? What can I do to shine the light of Jesus Christ in this dark place and in that dark place? What can I do to live a life that shines in front of those who don't yet know? I know it's... I know it's scary and I may not quite be ready for it, but I believe in the hope that I have in Jesus Christ and I'm willing to take that step and to step into the mess and to step in the darkness and to turn on the light and to let it shine. Father, I pray that you would fill us all with the courage and the passion and the boldness to be that kind of people, to be your chosen people, to shine like lights in the universe, to be the marvelous light that you've called us to be and to do whatever it takes to live a life that shines no matter what it costs us personally, no matter what it costs us in our relationships with Father let us live a life that shines and make sacrifices so that we can do it. And I pray by the blood of the lamb and the power of the spirit alive and active and at work in every single one of us in the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit, that we become your chosen people living your chosen life, shining your light brightly in the darkness in Jesus name.